This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. During this uh, Advent sermon series, we've been hearing messages from the manger. And if you rewind back over the past few weeks, you remember we've heard the message of hope, the message of love. Last week, we heard the message of joy. And this morning, we're going to hear the message of peace. Now, in a humanitarian sense, we hear a lot of messages about peace in our world, don't we? Especially around this time of year. We say, peace on earth, goodwill toward man, right? And the messages we send, the cards we write, the movies we watch, the songs we sing, they're all filled with wishes for and deep longings for peace on earth. And few songs are more emblematic of this wish than the very famous grown-up Christmas list. You probably know it, right? The songwriter harkens back to sitting on Santa's knee, asking for childish wishes, but has grown, now grown up to wish for more mature gifts like an end to global conflict and human, human suffering. It goes like this. Do you remember me? I sat upon your knee. I wrote to you with childhood fantasies. Well, I'm all grown up now and still need somehow. I, I'm, I'm not a, and, and still need help somehow. I'm not a child, but my heart still can dream. So here's my lifelong wish, my grown-up Christmas list. Not for myself, but for a world in need. And then there's no more lives torn, right? You guys know the song. That wars would never start and time would heal all hearts and everyone would have a friend and right would always win and love would never end. This is my grown-up Christmas list. The lyrics are compelling and musically speaking, the melody is absolutely beautiful. But if we're truly honest with ourselves, we would admit that as beautiful as that song might be, it leaves us in a real sense wanting. It leaves us lacking. And and here's why. The the songwriter wrote these lyrics in 1992, and anecdotally speaking, now some 30 years later, the state of the world hasn't gotten any better. Wars continually start. Lives are still torn apart. Time hasn't healed all hurts. Everyone doesn't have a friend. And right certainly doesn't always win. The peace we're all wishing for in the world and the peace we're all deeply longing for within our own hearts continues to escape us year after year after year. No matter how many songs we write about it or how many beauty pageant contestants wish for it, none of us experiences world peace the way we want it. But the songwriter does in fact, illumine more truth to us than we might realize. You see, these lyrics express the honest heart cry from one particular songwriter, but at the same time, they spell out the deep longings of every human being. Because you see, deep down, 
when we look at the world, when we examine our own experiences, God has wired inside our spiritual DNA to recognize that something is not right, that the state of the world is off and it needs to be fixed. And like John Mayer, we're all sitting around waiting for the world to change. And most of us are self-aware enough to at least look at the man or the woman in the mirror and we're asking them to change their ways. You see, the reality is this. The peace that human beings so desperately long to see in the world and the peace that we so deeply long to experience in our lives will never be found in earthly sources. Never. Well, gee, Chris, Merry Christmas to you too, right? <laughs> but it's, it's true. The peace that we're looking for continually evades us because we're expecting it from the wrong places. That's the bad news of Christmas. But the good news of Christmas is that there does exist a place where it can be found. You see, the solution to conflict in the world is not going to be found in the next election. The solution to conflict in the world is not going to be attained by a human treaty so the solution to the conflict in the world that we see and the solution to the conflicts of our own hearts are both found in the same place. The peace we're all looking for is found in the manger of Jesus. And that brings me to this morning's key truth. You could pick up here in your notes this morning and here's the big key truth that we want to see from the scriptures today. Jesus came to give you his multi-directional peace. Jesus came to give you his multi-directional peace. What I want you to see from the scriptures this morning is that the birth of Jesus is not to, meant to be a passive event in antiquated history for you. I, I want you to see that Jesus Christ in his birth holds real world implications for your life today, both now and for eternity. And so ultimately, I want you to make this morning's message personal. It's not simply that Jesus has come to earth to bring peace. It is that Jesus Christ has come to earth to bring peace to you and to you and to me. And I want you to see that his peace is multidirectional. There is a vertical component to God's grace and there is a horizontal component to his, sorry, to his peace. His vertical peace holds implications for your relationship with God. And his horizontal peace affects your relationships with the world. And Jesus' peace is far more comprehensive and far more transformative than the humanitarian peace that the world promotes this time of year. So to illustrate these truths, we're going to go into the text of Scripture, into the New Testament, into the book of Ephesians. And we're going to read a very short passage that sums up the gospel's effect in people's lives. And here it is in verse 13 of Ephesians 2. Paul writes, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off 
had been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now in the book of Ephesians, when you look at the first two chapters of Ephesians, Paul expounds on the radical nature and message of Jesus' gospel. Then in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2, he describes how separated from God we are in our lost state, and he highlights the spiritual division between the Jewish and non-Jewish communities. But, Paul says, there's a contrast. He says that belief in the gospel radically changes things. And in these two verses, we catch a glimpse of that change. And it's manifested in both the vertical and horizontal effect of the peace that is found in Jesus' gospel. So here's what Jesus came to give you through his multidirectional peace. First, let's look at the vertical. He offers you saving peace with God. He offers you saving peace with God. Now, in verses 11 and 12, Paul laid out the bad news. Personal separation from God and interpersonal alienation between other people. But, he writes, but now, big contrast, something has changed. And what brought the change? He qualifies it. He says, but now, in Christ Jesus you who once were far off. He says that Christ Jesus, Jesus himself, has wrought a change in your life. And that change begins personally in the heart. It doesn't begin outside the human being. It doesn't begin through legislation. It doesn't begin through an earthly king. He says this, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And this is really helpful for us to understand because biblically speaking, that phrase, being brought near, points to the fact that once we were separated from God's presence, but now God has intervened and done something to bring us into his presence, into God's fold. So there's a greater truth that Paul is pointing us towards here. And it's this. It's the bad news reality of every human heart on earth. And and I know that at Christmas, we're not primed to ponder bad news. As Timothy Keller rightly points out, he says, both the secular and church celebrations of Christmas focused almost entirely on sweetness and light. They are all about how the coming of Christ means peace on earth, but it's not that simple. He goes on to say this in a powerful illustration. He says, how does a surgeon bring peace to your body if it has a tumor in it? The surgeon spills your blood, cuts you open because that is your only path to health. How does a therapist help a downcast, depressed person? Often she does it by bringing up the past, getting the patient to confront painful memories and terrible feelings. The surgeon and therapist often have to make you feel worse before you can feel better. And in much the same way, it's what Paul does here. He wants us to get 
get a grip on what the bad news was so that we can appreciate the good news. And the bad news that Paul implies in verse 13 is that every human being is born a sinner and separated from God. In other passages in the New Testament, the Bible even says it in a more ominous way, calling us enemies of God because of our sin. So you see, in a world full of conflict between nations, in a world full of conflict between human beings, your greatest need for peace is not on the earth. Your greatest need for peace is with your God. You need the saving peace that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, that's what makes the angel's announcement, the heavenly birth announcement in Luke chapter 2, it's what makes the angel's announcement so remarkable. You remember the account? There's a group of ordinary, average, everyday shepherds simply performing their nightly duties on a Judean hillside. And then all of a sudden, the heavens break forth in angelic celebration as angels appear to them announcing the heavenly birth of, uh, of the earthly birth of Jesus Christ. And afterwards, the scriptures say this, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now scholars don't really know exactly how many angels constitute a myriad but there are a lot of language and insights in the Greek text that would signify that this was basically like 10,000 upon 10,000. There was, it's a really a Greek word for there were a whole lot of angels. And they announced the tagline that almost everyone in our culture loves to repeat Christmas after Christmas. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Everybody says this. It is so much common vernacular in our day that if you drive through downtown Lowell, you can look at Lowell City Hall and on the clock tower, blazoned in Christmas lights, peace on earth, Lowell. But when the world repeats this line, they usually mean it strictly in a humanitarian sense. Stop fighting. Let diplomacy rule the day. Sign the peace treaties. Extend extra measures of kindness to your fellow man, whether it's in the shopping malls or in your workplace. But I want you to stop with me for a moment. Think about this. Could that be the extent of the angel's message? Could that be what would cause thousands upon thousands of angels to stop their heavenly duties of unceasing praise around the throne room of God for? I mean, what would prompt heavenly angels to burst through the heavenly realms into our atmosphere, make an earthly appearance and break their silence and then proclaim glory to God in the highest heavens? What would cause them to do that? Is it simply so that 
Because human beings have office Christmas parties, donate to the poor, and have patience as they wait in long lines in order to buy discounted LET televisions and jewelry. I say this respectfully to you this morning, but that makes no cosmic or spiritual sense. There's got to be something bigger Something grander, more eternally significant to elicit such a response from such a myriad of heavenly beings. And the scriptures tell us what it is. The angels knew the enmity that existed between God and man. The angels were aware of the canyon of celebration that sin carved between God and men. And the angels were keenly acquainted with the eternal son of God in the heavens before he was ever sent to earth as baby Jesus. And the angels had at least partial insight into God's redemptive plan to send his son to earth to save human beings like you and me, to save us from our sins. The angels may not have known every aspect of God's redemptive plan, but they knew enough of it to break forth in cosmic worship, proclaiming glory to God in the highest heaven. Glory to God because God would give saving peace to those who respond to the gift of his son. There is now inaugurated a way for God's most prized possessions, his most prized creations, people like you, people like me, in order to be brought near. At the manger of Jesus, lay the initial implementation of God's divine spiritual peace treaty. The spiritual war between God and man could now begin to draw down. The holy God of the universe now offers immunity to his enemies, even sacrificing his own son to ratify it. That's why this same Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, therefore, this is Romans chapter five, verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And later in that same chapter in verse 10, he wrote, for if while we were enemies, there's that word, for if while, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You may be thinking, Chris, I know I'm not perfect, and I don't deny that I'm a sinner, but it seems a little over the top and a little Scrooge-like to dump such a bucket of cold water on my Christmas by calling me an enemy of God. I, I never declared war on God. I get it. It's a very human response. And it's our response because we've been conditioned by our sociology to think much more highly of ourselves and much more highly of our spiritual condition than we should 
It's quite remarkable how much effort and time we spend making ourselves look the best we can to the watching world. It is amazing how much we suppress our brokenness and hide our sin nature so that others only see the polished version of ourselves. We're all convinced that we're okay. Or at least we want people to think that we're okay. We would do ourselves well, though, to grapple with the words of Dr. Paul David Tripp, who says, It is either the height of arrogance or the depth of delusion to think that you are okay. None of us is okay, apart from the invasion of grace that is the core purpose for the coming of Jesus. So perhaps, the morning, perhaps this morning, the best thing that any one of us could do is to drop the charade and stop the hubris and simply admit to yourself, to others, and to God, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I'm a sinner who's been broken by the effects of sin. I'm not okay, but I want to be whole. I want to be whole and I want to be at peace with myself and I want to be at peace with other people, but I also want to be at peace with my God. And that's the good news of Christmas. That's what peace on earth means. It's what Jesus came to bring to you. The songwriter is right. The world is not okay. But Jesus is making a new world that is. And you are not okay. And I'm not okay either. But Jesus is in the business of making us new as well. And that newness begins by admitting that you're not okay. Confessing that you're a sinner. And turning towards Jesus in faith. And then the promise of God is you'll know God's saving peace through Jesus. You'll experience that vertical peace from God that will make you right in your heart between you and him. And then, and only then, and we must not get this out of order, when God bestows his peace upon us and we become right vertically, he then puts peace in our hearts that we may start experiencing it experientially and situationally as we walk on this planet. And that brings us to the second aspect of Jesus' multi-directional peace that he came to give you. Secondly, he offers you situational peace in the world. Now go back to Ephesians 2. In verse 13, Paul pointed us toward the saving peace of God our vertical peace with God. But now in verse 14, he writes about our horizontal peace in the world. Verse 14 says, for he himself is our peace. Just stop there. This is why we don't experience peace the way we expect to on planet earth because the Bible says that Jesus himself is our peace. It's why we continually lack it on earth. Because if we're seeking peace outside of any other source, that peace is always going to be faulty at best 
and very unsatisfying at worst. He goes on, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In other words, when God's peace invades your internal heart, it works itself outward as you live in and engage with the world. Because Jesus is our peace, Paul says, he knocks down the dividing walls between people. Now, you heard me preach about this, and we talked about this a lot in the Steady series a couple of months ago. But I'm just going to refresh our memories about the animosity between the Jews and Gentiles. Even among the Jewish converts and the Gentile converts who were in the same church together, there was still a level of that hostility and that alienation between them. The first century Jews were descendants of God's covenant people from the Old Testament, waiting for their promised Messiah. The Gentiles were the non-Jews who were always the ones in redemptive history who were on the outside looking in on God's salvation. But after the resurrection, Jesus' gospel began to spread throughout the Mediterranean world in the first century. And other nations, other ethnicities, the Gentiles, began placing faith in Jesus Christ. The Jewish people from of old, there are those who believed in the promise of Jesus and they, they saw him as the promised Messiah and they placed their faith in Jesus. And so you had this melting pot in the first century church, this multi-ethnic, multi-experientially, uh, spiritual experience background with all this animosity and division in the backdrop. And if you want to understand it, Think about 1960s race relations in the U.S. South. Or think about Republicans and Democrats today. Or fast forward to next summer and think about Yankees and Red Sox at Fenway Park in the midst of a pennant race. There was great division. These people were not supposed to get along, culturally speaking. But the Bible tells us that because Jesus was their peace and Jesus had given them his peace, Jesus knocked down the walls of division between them. And this is the mistake the world makes. The world is looking for a utopia where people don't fight and where people don't inflict hurt. But we're demanding an impossibility because we live in a sin in a world that is governed by sin. Every human being holds the possibility of inflicting hurt because we're all hurt by the effects of sin. And to quote a lot of our psychologists, hurt people do what? Hurt people. So we're longing for a utopia where the symptoms of conflict and hurt don't exist, but none of us is immune from the sinful virus that gives birth to the symptoms. But when we experience God's vertical peace through faith in Jesus, in a sense, spiritually speaking, he vaccinates us with the blood of his son 
that then begins a transformative process that has a demonstrative effect in this world. He starts making us new. And he starts giving us the ability and the power to do things that we could not have done before. And although we won't know full peace on this earth, we can know real peace on this earth. And we'll not experience it fully here, but we'll know perfect peace with God in the next world. So for the remainder of our time, what I want to do is I want to briefly show you three areas where our vertical peace with God brings us horizontal peace in our life situations. One, situationally, Jesus gives us peace in our relationships. Peace in your relationships. Now, we've already seen this in Ephesians 2.14 between the Jews and the Gentiles. But here's the question. What about today? What about your life? What about your relationships? Well, the reality is simple. The same peace of God that broke down the walls of division between the Jews and the Gentiles is the exact same peace from God that he gives to you to apply in the midst of your troubled relationships today. If God can knock down the walls of separation between new believers in the first century world, he can certainly knock down the walls of division interpersonally in the lives of Christians today. Jesus' peace has not changed. Now, approximately 20 times in the New Testament, there is some admonition or challenge to believers to seek peace with others. And the point is clear from this. If Jesus can span the gulf between your sinful heart and the holy heart of God, he can surely bridge the gulf between you and other people. So through the power of Jesus and through the peace of Jesus in our hearts, we extend patience towards others. We forgive others. We don't hold grudges against others. We don't retaliate to make them pay for what they've done to us. We seek to bless others rather than to curse others. Now, here's a warning here, okay? I get that the truth is simple, but the application is very difficult. I get that. This doesn't mean that everything will be perfect between you and other people. We still live in a, in a, on a planet that is governed and affected by the brokenness of sin. And it might not mean that every relationship in your life is exactly what you want it to be or wish it could be. But it does mean that God can bring you to a place of peace in your own heart and in your actions towards another person. Jesus gives you relational peace. But secondly, he also gives you peace in your heart, inside of you. Now, I said last week that one of the things I love the most about the Bible is how honest and raw it is. Remember I talked about that last week? That neither Jesus nor his apostles sugarcoat life on earth. They tell us that in this broken world, we will experience hurt and pain 
and disappointment. It's one of the strengths of the credibility of the Bible is because the Bible not only tells us about what is what the ideal that God has prepared for us, he, the Bible also explains to us the reality of the world today. But they also tell us that even in the midst of this reality, Jesus gives us peace. Listen to the heart of scriptures, the scripture here. Jesus, as he was preparing to go to the cross, told his disciples in John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But they were afraid. They were very afraid because they had no idea what was going to happen to Jesus and they had no idea what was going to happen after Jesus. They were scared. They were anxious. They were very troubled. But Jesus reassures them and he says, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Why? Because you just muster up the courage to overcome it? No, don't be afraid and don't be troubled because I'm leaving you with my peace. And I'm giving you my peace. You see, Jesus tells us that even as you look at the brokenness of this world, don't be afraid. And even as you experience very troublesome circumstances, don't be troubled in your heart. Why? Because I'm leaving you with my peace. I'm giving you my peace. What in the world does this look like? The way that you know that peace offer these thoughts is that you focus not on the pain of your circumstances but on the plan of your God. As you think about the promise of your future with God, you think about that more than pondering the problems of the present world. And as you do that, there's this calm, reassuring peace that God just flows through your heart like a river. This is so connected to the river of joy that we talked about last week. He does that inside of his children in those moments. His situational peace speaks into our relationships. It calms our hearts. Thirdly, I want you to see also that Jesus wants to give you peace in your witness. There is a missional aspect of this peace from God. I want to remind you that the peace we're talking about is very different than what the world talks about. Whether you look at the Old Testament idea of shalom or the way the New Testament writers applied that, God's peace is so much more comprehensive. It is so much more all-encompassing than we normally think. It is basically a person who is just simply in the right state uh, relationally, spiritually, and in our minds with God and, it, and how it affects other people. The peace of God is so much more consuming than we normally think. And it's that peace that Jesus wants us not only to live out in our lives towards other people, but also tell with our tongues. In Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said these very famous words in his Sermon on the Mount. He wrote, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. 
See, Jesus doesn't want you simply to be a peace receiver. He wants you to be a peacemaker. A peace receiver, without being a peacemaker, simply silos the peace of Jesus in your heart. And you think that the end of Jesus' peace just simply points to your own peace with God, and that's it. But Jesus wants you to be a peacemaker, and he says that if you are a peacemaker, then you should be called sons of God. Now, there are some of you in the room who are parents. And if you're really honest with yourself today, when you look at your son or you look at your daughter, you see yourself in them, don't you? The timbre of their voice, the shape of their ears, the, 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 the way that they walk, you, you see it. In other words, your son or your daughter is going to reflect you, look like you, and reflect a lot of your values. Well, Jesus says that if you're a peacemaker, you're going to show the world that you have a father named God because you will be called sons of God, Jesus says. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, if our ultimate need is the saving peace from God, And that saving peace from God is what then causes effective change in our life to have horizontal peace with the world. I believe wholeheartedly that what Jesus is commanding us to do here is to be telling about that gospel of peace. We are to be ambassadors of peace, ambassadors for the gospel, not only living out a picture of peace, but also telling the message of peace in the gospel that we see through faith and repentance. And so I wonder today, is there someone in your own life with whom you might share that message this Christmas? Maybe it's a cousin or a brother, a a friend or a parent, a neighbor, a coworker, I'm not sure, but is there someone in your life who if the subject of peace on earth came up, you might be able to say, can I actually tell you what I learned at church on Sunday? You know the reason why we don't experience more peace on earth? Let me explain that to you. Let me share what I learned from the scriptures on Sunday morning. Be a peacemaker. Jesus has come that you may know the multi-directional peace that he brings. Vertical peace with God. Horizontal peace with the world. And we began our time this morning considering a Christmas song that ultimately expresses a longing for a world of peace, but understanding that we'll never know that world this side of heaven. I want to close this morning with another song, another Christmas song that ultimately expresses that deep-seated peace in the midst of a world of deep conflict and personal brokenness. The year was 1863. The United States was in the throes of the great civil war, a war that threatened our union, a war being fought over hatred and racial division. And that same year, the famous literary giant, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, watched the national carnage from his home very close here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. A little bit about Longfellow. He knew deep personal loss and grief in his own life because a few years earlier, he experienced the death of an infant daughter and then a tragic house fire that both killed his wife, Fanny, and left him with debilitating burns. Now he is a widower, a single dad, 
to five children. And that year, in 1863, his oldest son, Charles, chose to fight for the Union in the Civil War and was seriously injured and left paralyzed. So on December 25th, 1863, Longfellow wrote a poem seeking to capture both the dynamic and dissonance in his own heart and the world he observed around him that Christmas day. He heard the Christmas bells ringing in Cambridge and the singing of peace on earth, but he observed the world and saw injustice and violence, which seemed to mock the truthfulness of this optimistic outlook. He would go on to write several verses of a poem that would later become the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. There are several verses to this song, but the two that stand out to me the most are the last two. He wrote this. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Do you feel like that in 2020? I mean, don't you, don't you feel that that Longfellow could have written those words just this year. But he doesn't stop there. He says, then peel the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Do you know a peace like that? Are you longing for reconciliation and resolution, but none seems to be found? Are you crying out for peace on earth while a war is raging inside your own heart? Then look this morning at the manger of Jesus Because lying there in a feeding trough for animals is the one whom the prophets called the Prince of Peace. And he lived, he lived sinlessly because you couldn't. He lived whole in contrast to your brokenness. And he died the death that the scriptures say bought your peace with God. And in spilling his blood for the sins of the world, he signed God's divine spiritual peace treaty and he signed it with the ink of his own blood. And then there's the promise. He lives forevermore. He rose from the grave. He lives forevermore so that if you place your faith and trust in him and repent of your life of brokenness and sin, you can one day experience in heaven with him the utopia that you are so longing for here on earth. Father, I thank you today for your son, Jesus. I thank you for the peace that he brings. And Father, even as I ponder the peace of Jesus this morning, I'm confronted with the the war and battles that rage in my own heart. 
And Father, I pray today that you would speak peace to us, that we would hear your offer of peace, that we would see the gift of your peace, and that we would see it in the face of your baby son in that manger, and that we would receive him, that we would receive the gift that you came to bring us, and that we would know peace, even if we don't know it perfectly on this earth, that we would know it in a real in a real way. Father, I don't know the state of every heart in this room. Lord, so often I don't even know the state of my own heart. But Father, you do. And so I pray today that for everyone here and everyone watching virtually, that you would speak the message to those hearts that each person needs to hear today. And I pray today Today might be the day of salvation because someone received the gift of your peace on this Christmas. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.